Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me this week as we read through paragraphs 302 through 336 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss the concepts of divine providence and a little bit about the creation of the angels. Just like we did with the term divine revelation, where we broke down the two terms and noted that divine refers to God, revelation refers to a revealing or a showing of oneself, we can similarly break down the term divine providence. Divine, again, refers to God, and providence is pretty self-explanatory. We see that root word provide, um, and the term divine providence refers to God not only creating us out of pure love and goodness, but continuing to walk with us to simultaneously respecting our free will, allowing us to make our own free decisions, and yet at the same time providing for us. So sending us people, circumstances, uh, both spiritual and material things to help us along the way, to help us achieve our goal, our end, Uh, our purpose of being human, which is happiness, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. So divine providence is one of those mysterious both-and concepts where we note that God is outside of time. So God is above and beyond our timeline. He sees at once our past, our present, and our future. So what we did, what we're doing, and what we will one day do. And yet... At the same time, I am freely choosing what to do and not to do. So God sees what I'm going to do, and yet he loves and respects my free will, loves me, respects my free will, and allows me to choose or not choose those actions. Paragraph 302 and paragraph 303 from our selection today talk about divine providence by saying, Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete from the hands of the creator. The universe was created, quote-unquote, in a state of journeying toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained, to which God has destined it. We call divine providence the dispositions by which God guides his creation toward this perfection. By his providence, God protects and governs all things which he has made, reaching mightily from one end of the earth to the other and ordering all things well. For all are open and laid bare to his eyes, even those things which are yet to come into existence through the free action of creatures. The witness of scripture is unanimous that the solicitude of divine providence is concrete and immediate. God cares for all from the least things to the great events of the world and its history. So we're in the midst of this mysterious both and relationship with God. God sees what's coming down the road, And while he respects our free will, he helps to prepare us and provide for us because he loves us. He wants us to be happy. This makes me think of um, a moment in my life where God made his divine providence just abundantly and beautifully clear. It was my senior year at Franciscan University and as, you know, my friends and, and fellow students were applying for various jobs, I prayed, Lord, whatever you place before me, I'll apply for. 
and then please open and close the doors according to your will. So I, at that point, I was majoring in theology and British and American literature. And so I applied for a number of teaching positions in both subjects. And then I also applied for writing and editing positions. So I've always loved to read and write. I've always loved to learn. And so any teaching position, any writing and editing position that came my way, whether a friend mentioned it, whether it was posted you know, on the career board at my school, I applied for it. And then I just continued to pray, Lord, please open and close the doors according to your will. I also have always enjoyed traveling, so some of the jobs for which I applied were international, international positions. I sent out about 12 to 15 applications uh, across the United States and in three different countries, and one of them happened to be a school in Managua, Nicaragua. So this is a country in Central America. Uh, Oftentimes when I would tell people I taught in Nicaragua, they would say, wow, I've never been to Africa. That's Nigeria. So Nicaragua is in Central America, and uh, there was a school there that was established in the early 90s by a Nicaraguan family and some Franciscan University graduates who happened to be living there at the time. So each year, I think because of that that initial um, founding with Franciscan graduates, The school, Lincoln International Academy of the Holy Family, a a bilingual high school, would try to recruit Franciscan graduates. So my residence director just mentioned it offhand one day, and in the spirit of my deal with God, uh, I applied. Okay, so this was another thing that had come my way, and then I applied for it and continued to, to pray for God's clear action in my life. So there reached a point after I had applied for a number of different jobs where over the course of about 10 days, half the jobs for which I applied got back to me and said, no, you know, you're not qualified. We're looking for someone or something else. Thanks for applying. But basically, no, no, no. Then Lincoln Academy, this uh, school in Nicaragua, contacted me and said, yes, we would love to have you come work for us. Over the next two days, every other job for which I applied said no. So God was abundantly clear in his answering of my prayers. He closed a number of doors, opened one, and then closed the rest. So I said, okay, God, thanks for being so clear. Thanks for hearing and answering my prayer. It's off to Nicaragua we go. So I graduated from Franciscan, came home for a couple months, and then I moved to Managua, Nicaragua, where I was to teach 11th and 12th graders English literature. So my students were Nicaraguan, they were native Spanish speakers, but all of the classes were in English. So the school actually began with pre-K, went all the way to 12th grade, and I believe it was somewhere around second, second or third grade Uh, most of the classes were taught in English so that the students would become uh, fluent in English by the time they graduated. So despite teaching in English, uh, it was a culture shock uh, to go down there. Again, I had always loved to travel, but I had been to a number of countries that were somewhat similar to the U.S., whereas Nicaragua was not. It was a very different culture, and um, it was a hard adjustment for me at first. But by the grace of God, over the two years that I was there, it ended up being just a beautiful experience where I met wonderful people and learned a lot. Well, one of my initial 
culture shock experiences was I was sitting after being there maybe a week or two I was sitting in a restaurant with some of my newly made friends and the waiter comes over and says in Spanish uh, the gentleman at the next table has sent you this drink and I thought oh, a little puffed up I thought wow I've only been here a week or two and already I'm drawing drinks from the gentleman well I look over and there's one of my 11th graders who is waving from the next table saying hi that's from me. Welcome. I was like, oh, great. Right. There's not really a drinking age here. And so here's this, this drink from one of my students. Um, Lincoln wanted to employ native English speakers, but because the culture was very different, teachers from the U.S., from Canada, would often come for short stints and then return home. Uh, after being at the school a couple months, one of my seniors clapped me on the shoulder at the end of class on his way out the door and said, you know, miss, I just want to congratulate you. We, we drove out the last three English teachers, but you're still here. It's like, okay, thanks. Um, one of the ways that the school uh, tried to encourage native English speakers to stay and teach, besides being incredibly hospitable, incredibly helpful in helping me and others navigate the country, get settled in, was they offered, very generously offered, a uh, master of education where if we stayed uh, teaching for two years at the school, we could earn credits towards a Master of Education and even complete that program at the end of two years. So the Master of Education was offered um, from an American university, so Framingham University, which is located in Framingham, Massachusetts, and the professors were sent to us in Nicaragua. So during summer and Christmas breaks, and then kind of squeezed in around the classes we were teaching. Um, other teachers, both Nicaraguan and non-Nicaraguan, and I would take these courses towards our Master of Education. So especially in those first six months when I was teaching there and I was really getting adjusted to the culture, getting adjusted to teaching, um, and times were a little tough, it was a great incentive to persevere. Okay, not only am I learning about this culture, am I meeting wonderful people, but I'm also simultaneously earning a Master of Education. Um, some of those tough times and culture shocks uh, included gaining 20 pounds in the course of two months. <laughs> so I um, you know, was, was homesick those, those first few months, and so I would eat my homesickness away and you know, drink lots of chocolate milk and eat lots of fried food that I didn't normally eat at home to try to console those those sad feelings. Um, also, I happened to be there when um, the country was gearing up for elections, uh, an election. And uh, there was one day I walked into my house where I was living at the time. And then all of a sudden, my eyes just started tearing up. And, you know, I'm saying to my roommates, like, what is this? And uh, we realized that college students were demonstrating down the street in preparation for this election. They were demonstrating um, against the current administration and saying, you know, vote for this this new potential administration. And to drive home the point, they were tear gassing the, the police um, who were overseeing the demonstration. And that tear gas wafted into my home. So, you know, new things I had not experienced yet. Um, but... Uh, again, I learned a lot, and um, it ended up being just a tremendous experience. 
So thanks to the generosity of Lincoln Academy and the grace of God, I earned my Master of Education in two years and then returned home to the Philadelphia area. Once I returned home, I applied to teach at high schools in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia just as they were implementing the rule that in order to uh, teach at a high school here, you had to have a certain number of credits in your subject area and then a certain number of credits in education. So I would have been fine in my subject area because I wanted to teach English literature and theology, but had it not been for this very specific job in this very specific country, with a very specific generous offer to native English speakers, I would not have been able to teach for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia probably for another year or two um, while I was trying to earn these education credits. And I may not have discovered, or discovered for a while, one of my life's greatest passions, teaching theology. So I was a perfectly free human being, making rational decisions step by step. But meanwhile, God, who is outside of time and space, saw that two years after I graduated from Franciscan, I would need an education degree in addition to the one I had just earned. And so he provided for it quietly and humbly over those two years such that, bing, 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 I was asked to provide transcripts showing I had earned credits in education. I provided them and I got the job. So thank you, Jesus, and God bless Don Ramiro and Donia Norma. Uh, the owners of the school in Nicaragua where I taught for this divine providence, okay, and for them cooperating with divine providence, providing quietly over those two years so that when something was needed, I was able to provide it. Sometimes we're put off by the notion of God being outside of time and seeing what we're going to do in the future as though that impinges on my freedom or makes me and my life seem less spontaneous. Again, it's that beautiful both end. I am free, and at the same time, God provides. Sometimes divine providence is very clear, and sometimes we won't fully understand what God's about this side of heaven. God is infinitely trustworthy, so he didn't have to create us. He doesn't have to have a relationship with us, but he did and he does because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. So he wants us to be happy, not just in heaven, but even now. Another quick note on divine providence and then a, a quick word about angels. You might be familiar with the concept of tithing. So scripture in both the Old Testament and New Testament talks about giving 10% of your income back to God. Just like God didn't need to create and he doesn't need us to worship him, he certainly doesn't need our money. Just like scripture and prayer and the sacraments are all for us to help us along the road to our goal, our end, our purpose of being human, which is happiness, giving 10% of our income back to God is ultimately for our happiness, not his. And you guessed it, not just in the next life. So it's not like if we tithe 10% of our income back to God, then we'll get into heaven one day and be happy. But it's for our happiness in this life as well. When we give it back to God, whether through the collection basket at church or through a diaper drive at a local women's shelter or by buying a Grubhub gift card for a homebound neighbor, two things are accomplished. One, those in need around us are served. And two, we recognize that all of life is a gift and we're freed up or we're opened up to receive more. 
We recognize that as sacred scripture says, all good giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's all gift. Of course, we work our jobs, which require us to put in time and effort, uh, requires discipline and self-sacrifice. But it's so good to remember that God gave me the hands to work. He gives me the breath to live another day. And while money and goods are important, and in many cases necessary, uh, the accumulation of, of material goods, the securing of material goods, it's not the final end or goal or purpose of our existence. And tithing, in a very practical way, reminds us of that. So another uh, personal anecdote, uh, my husband Dan and I noticed that we were starting to get leaks in the ceiling of our second floor. When, when we purchased our home, we knew that we would need to get a new roof in the next you know, five to seven years. But we noticed leaks in our ceiling and realized, ooh, that, that new roof necessity is going to come a little sooner than, than we had planned. So you know, we could figure it out. We had money and savings. But still, it was a big bill that was a little unexpected or a little, arrived a little earlier than we expected. So, um, you know, we contracted with someone to come and replace our roof. Uh, we started our payment plan. And just as those payment plans uh, were coming due, we started receiving the stimulus checks that were offered uh, to many last year. And in a divinely provident twist of events, our stimulus checks amounted to the exact amount we needed to pay for a new roof. We don't tithe so that God will take care of us. So I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel as though because you're a Christian who believes in God, you'll be rich, you know, no stress, no pressure. God will, will uh, give you all the money you need for all the desires of your hearts. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when we tithe, our eyes are opened to what God is doing all around us. He's providing for us each and every step of the way uh, whether we recognize it or not, and whether we accept it or not. So when we received those stimulus checks, buying a new roof is not the most glamorous or, or fun thing to do with, with this windfall. But how incredibly awesome to see that when there was a need, God provided in this funny twist of events. Um, how awesome to see that it was as though God made it abundantly clear, like, hey, I'm providing for you, and I'm going to make this amount uh, of, of gifted money match exactly what you need for this new roof. Okay, so how awesome um, to clearly see his, his love and provision. And in addition to the not-so-glamorous roof, God seems to sneak in those extra blessings of fun stuff along the way as well. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 305 and 306 say, Jesus asks for childlike abandonment to the providence of our Heavenly Father, who takes care of his children's smallest needs. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? or What shall we drink? Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. God is the sovereign master of his plan, but to carry it out, he also makes use of his creature's cooperation. This use is not a sign of weakness, but rather a token of Almighty God's greatness and goodness. For God grants his creatures not only their existence, but also the, the dignity of acting on their own, a 
of being causes and principles for each other, and thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. So, you know, God could have, could have made our lives perfect from the beginning. Um, he could have had all the pieces in place so that it was very easy just to go from A to B to C. But he creates us on the way. Um, or let me say, he, he creates us such that we get to participate along the way as he brings our lives, as he brings creation to its perfection. So thank God for that fun adventure uh, God has us all on. One quick word on the angels, which today's selection of the catechism uh, talks about right at the end. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 328 says, the existence of the spiritual non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. So angels, we believe, are real, okay, very much a part of, of God's creation. But one thing we often get wrong is the difference between angels and human beings. Okay, you might hear when a loved one passes away, a family member or friend might say in a, a, an attempt to bring you comfort or consolation, oh, so-and-so, you know, your loved one is now an angel in heaven. What the Catechism describes in this, this last part of today's reading selection is that animals, angels, and human beings are all very different parts of creation. So animals are bodily, angels are spiritual, and human beings are both body and spirit. We're kind of like the glorious mutts of creation, okay, both, both corporeal, bodily, and spiritual. And so when people say like, oh, so-and-so, you know, is now an angel in heaven, um, you know, in an attempt to comfort, to console, they're, they're getting it something along the way to the truth but the the truth is that we are made as human beings not to be angels which are pure spirits we are made to be saints in heaven okay where our bodies and our souls will by the grace of god be redeemed and perfected one day and then we will live as bodies and souls as human beings fully alive as saint Irenaeus says um for the rest of eternity enjoying eternity eternity bodily and spiritually. This shows the beauty and diversity of creation and of heaven. Okay, we'll see that beauty and diversity played out for, for all of eternity. Um, I used to have students say like, eh, is heaven just going to be like all of us in white robes playing the harp? Because that sounds a little boring and I don't know if I want that. Uh, no, as St. Paul says to uh, the Corinthians in one of his letters, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has ready for those who love him. Okay, what we will, God willing, experience in heaven for all of eternity will be incredible and dynamic and much more than, you know, little white-robed angels playing the harp, sitting on clouds uh, in heaven. My children uh, love watching television shows, and my husband and I have instituted um, a little rule where they, to you know, make it so they don't watch TV all day. Uh, Sophia can pick a show, Declan can pick a show, and then they can each pick, or they can pick together their together show. Um, so I think because we limit them a little bit, shows are like 
the ultimate for them, the ultimate fun activity. Can we watch a show? We get an extra show today. So Declan asked me the other day, will we watch shows in heaven? That's just like the most fun thing he could imagine right now. I said, probably not. I think heaven's going to be a little more exciting than, than watching shows to the point where, you know, you're not even going to want, want to watch a show because it's going to be so awesome. And he could just not believe that if, you know, if you have the option to watch a show, why would you not watch a show for all of eternity? So this week, let's pray for the grace to see what God is about in our lives. Let's pray to see how divine providence is working in and through us. And let's pray to our guardian angels to help us be and become the saints God created us to be. We'll take a brief break, and then in the second half of the episode, I'll read today's selection from the Catechism, which again is paragraphs 302 through 336. Thanks so much for joining me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 302 through 336 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. God carries out his plan, divine providence. Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete from the hands of the creator. The universe was created in a state of journeying toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained to which God has destined it. We call divine providence the dispositions by which God guides his creation toward this perfection. By his providence, God protects and governs all things which he has made, reaching mightily from one end of the earth to the other, and ordering all things well. For all are open and laid bare to his eyes, even those things which are yet to come into existence through the free action of creatures. The witness of scripture is unanimous that the solicitude of divine providence is concrete and immediate. God cares for all, from the least things to the great events of the world and its history. The sacred books powerfully affirm God's absolute sovereignty over the course of events. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And so it is with Christ, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens. As the book of Proverbs states, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. And so we see the Holy Spirit, the principal author of sacred scripture, often attributing actions to God without mentioning any secondary causes. This is not a primitive mode of speech, but a profound way of recalling God's primacy and absolute lordship over history and the world, and so of educating his people to trust in him. The prayer of the Psalms is the great school of this trust. Jesus asks for childlike abandonment to the providence of our Heavenly Father, who takes care of his children's smallest needs. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Providence and Secondary Causes God is the sovereign master of his plan. But to carry it out, he also makes use of his creature's cooperation. This use is not a sign of weakness, but rather a token of Almighty God's greatness and goodness. For God grants us creatures not only their existence, but also the dignity of acting on their own, of being causes and principles for each other, and thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. To human beings, God even gives the power of freely sharing in his providence by entrusting them with the responsibility of subduing the earth and having dominion over it. 
God thus enables men to be intelligent and free causes in order to complete the work of creation, to perfect its harmony for their own good and that of their neighbors. Though often unconscious collaborators with God's will, they can also enter deliberately into the divine plan by their actions, their prayers, and their sufferings. They then fully become God's fellow co-workers, excuse me, God's fellow workers and co-workers for his kingdom. The truth that God is at work in all the actions of his creatures is inseparable from faith in God the creator. God is the first cause who operates in and through secondary causes. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Far from diminishing the creature's dignity, this truth enhances it. Drawn from nothingness by God's power, wisdom, and goodness, I can do nothing if it is cut off from its origin. For without a creator, the creature vanishes. Still less can a creature attain its ultimate end without the help of God's grace. Providence and the Scandal of Evil If God the Father Almighty, the creator of the ordered and good world, cares for all his creatures, why does evil exist? To this question, as pressing as it is unavoidable and as painful as it is mysterious, no quick answer will suffice. Only Christian faith as a whole constitutes the answer to this question. The goodness of creation, the drama of sin, and the patient love of God who comes to meet man by his covenants, the redemptive incarnation of his Son, his gift of the Spirit, his gathering of the Church, the power of the sacraments, and his call to a blessed life to which free creatures are invited to consent in advance, but from which, by a terrible mystery, they can also turn away in advance. There is not a single aspect of the Christian message that is not in part an answer to the question of evil. But why did God not create a world so perfect that no evil could exist in it? With infinite power, God could always create something better. Both infinite wisdom and goodness, God freely willed to create a world in a state of journeying toward its ultimate perfection. In God's plan, this process of becoming involves the appearance of certain beings and the disappearance of others, the existence of the more perfect alongside the less perfect, both constructive and destructive forces of nature. With physical good, there exists also physical evil, as long as creation has not reached perfection. Angels and men, as intelligent and free creatures, have to journey toward their ultimate destinies by their free choice and preferential love. They can therefore go astray. Indeed, they have sinned. Thus has moral evil, incommensurably more harmful than physical evil, entered the world. God is in no way, directly or indirectly, the cause of moral evil. He permits it, however, because he respects the freedom of his creatures and mysteriously knows how to derive good from it. For Almighty God, because he is supremely good, would never allow any evil whatsoever to exist in his works if he were not so all-powerful and good as to cause good to emerge from evil itself. In time, we can discover that God, in his almighty providence, can bring a good from the consequences of an evil, even a moral evil, caused by his creatures. It was not you, said Joseph to his brothers, who sent me here, but God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. From the greatest moral evil ever committed, the rejection and murder of God's only Son, caused by the sins of all men, God, by his grace that abounded all the more, brought the greatest of goods, the glorification of Christ and our redemption. But for all that, evil never becomes a good. We know that in everything God works for good for those who love him. 
The constant witness of the saints confirms this. St. Catherine of Siena said to those who are scandalized and rebel against what happens to them, everything comes from love. All is ordained for the salvation of man. God does nothing without this goal in mind. St. Thomas More, shortly before his martyrdom, consoled his daughter. Nothing can come but that that God wills, and I make me very sure that whatsoever that be, seem it never so bad in sight, it shall indeed be the best. Dame Julian of Norwich, here I was taught by the grace of God that I should steadfastly keep me in the faith, and that at the same time I should take my stand on and earnestly believe in what our Lord showed in this time, that all manner of thing shall be well. We firmly believe that God is master of the world and of its history, but the ways of his providence are often unknown to us. Only at the end, when our partial knowledge ceases, when we see God face to face, Will we fully know the ways by which, even through the dramas of evil and sin, God has guided his creation to that definitive Sabbath rest for which he created heaven and earth? In brief, in the creation of the world and of man, God gave the first and universal witness to his almighty love and his wisdom, the first proclamation of the plan of his loving goodness, which finds its goal in the new creation of Christ. Though the work of salvation is attributed to the Father in particular, it is equally a truth of faith that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together are the one indivisible principle of creation. God alone created the universe freely, directly, and without any help. No creature has the infinite power necessary to create in the proper sense of the word, that is to produce and give being to that which had in no way possessed it, to call into existence out of nothing. God created the world to show forth and communicate his glory that his creatures should share in his truth, goodness, and beauty. This is the glory for which God created them. God created the universe and keeps it in existence by his word. The Son, upholding the universe by his word of power and by his creator spirit, the giver of life. Divine providence consists of the dispositions by which God guides all his creatures with wisdom and love to their ultimate end. Christ invites us to filial trust in the providence of our Heavenly Father, and St. Peter the Apostle repeats, Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. Divine providence works also through the actions of creatures. To human beings, God grants the ability to cooperate freely with his plans. The fact that God permits physical and even moral evil is a mystery that God illuminates by his Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose to vanquish evil. Faith gives us the certainty that God would not permit an evil if he did not cause a good to come from that very evil, by ways that we shall fully know only in eternal life. Heaven and Earth The Apostles' Creed professes that God is creator of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed makes it explicit that this profession includes all that is, seen and unseen. The scriptural expression heaven and earth means all that exists, creation in its entirety. It also indicates the bond deep within creation that both unites heaven and earth and distinguishes the one from the other. The earth is the world of men, while heaven or the heavens can designate both the firmament and God's own place, our Father in heaven, and consequently the heaven too, which is eschatological glory. Finally, heaven refers to the saints and the place of the spiritual creatures, the angels who surround God. The profession of faith of the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 affirms that God from the beginning of time made at once out of nothing both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal, that is the angelic and the earthly, and then the human creature, who as it were shares in both orders, being composed of spirit and body. 
The Angels, The Existence of Angels, A Truth of Faith. The existence of the spiritual, non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. Who are they? St. Augustine says angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they do, angel. With their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God. Because they always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven, they are the mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. As purely spiritual creatures, angels have intelligence and will. They are personal and immortal creatures, surpassing in perfection all visible creatures, as the splendor of their glory bears witness. Christ with all his angels. Christ is the center of the angelic world. They are his angels. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, they belong to him because they were created through and for him. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. They belong to him still more because he has made them messengers of his saving plan. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation? Angels have been present since creation and throughout the history of salvation, announcing the salvation from afar or near and serving the accomplishment of the divine plan. They closed the earthly paradise, protected Lot, saved Hagar and her child, stayed Abraham's hand, communicated the law by their ministry, led the people of God, announced births and callings, and assisted the prophets, just to cite a few examples. Finally, the angel Gabriel announced the birth of the precursor and that of Jesus himself. From the incarnation to the ascension, the life of the word incarnate is surrounded by the adoration and service of angels. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Their song of praise at the birth of Christ has not ceased resounding in the church's praise, glory to God in the highest. They protect Jesus in his infancy, serve him in the desert, strengthen in him in his agony in the garden when he could have been saved from them by the hands of his enemies as Israel had been. Again, it is the angels who evangelize by proclaiming the good news of Christ's incarnation and resurrection. They will be present at Christ's return, which they will announce to serve at his judgment. The Angels in the Life of the Church in the meantime, the whole life of the church benefits from the mysterious and powerful help of angels. In her liturgy, the church joins with the angels to adore the thrice holy God. She invokes their assistance in the funeral liturgies in Paradisum de Ducant Te Angeli. May the angels lead you into paradise. Moreover, in the cherubic hymn of the Byzantine liturgy, she celebrates the memory of certain angels more particularly, St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael, and the guardian angels. From its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united in God. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. If you'd like to connect during the week, follow me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. And until next week, God bless you. 
Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.